Hi and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host Renee Bennett and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Oh my goodness, girls, welcome, 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 welcome. I am, I am actually so excited for our next couple of weeks because we are branching out into a series that I've had in the back of my mind for quite a while and I will let you know in just a second what we're going to do. But first, I just wanted to say a really big thank you to some of the girls out there that just constantly send me encouraging messages. So I just wanted to give a big shout out to Chloe. Chloe, you know which Chloe you are. I absolutely love you to bits. You are so sweet. I think she messages me just about every Wednesday morning going, oh my gosh, I'm going to listen on my way to work today. And she just always is so encouraging. So anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being so encouraging. And thank you to all the all the girls and guys I get messages from. And I might need it, actually, after after attempting this next topic. Pray for me, girls. This is going to be really interesting. Well, as you can see from the socials anyway, this next four weeks or so, we'll see how we go because I'm just going to take it week by week, is called Girl Power. And the reason is... I'm going to explore a really hot topic, and that is I want to chat all things feminism, girls in the church space, does our gender affect the opportunities we get, the way that we get treated, are we disadvantaged, all of that kind of gender stuff. And my Instagram feed actually literally, literally blew up last week, this week actually, Because I put a few questions on both my personal and the girl next door one just around feminism and girls in the church and, you know, if you thought that we had less opportunities and uh, not just in the church, but even outside of the church and so many of you. And then there was like a poll as well. And so I'll, I'll kind of let you know what the different results were as we go over the different weeks. Um... I've also been asked before by quite a few girls what my thoughts on feminism are, particularly those of you that perhaps have studied it, either at school or at university. Um, For those of you, you'll know what I mean when I talk about the different waves of feminism. For those of you that don't know, don't worry, I'm going to explain everything. Um, But there's just so much in this subject. I actually am recording this one a lot later than what I usually would because I have just... Um, not struggled to know which direction, but every time I think of something, I think of something else new that we could be talking about. It is a huge topic that we could look at from so many different angles. And look, uh, what I'm going to discuss will just be a drop in the ocean. I'm by no means an expert on this. Um, I'm just going to, as usual, just give you my thoughts. Um, My aim is always for us girls to learn Um, it's not that I want to, you know, give you, this is my opinion and you've got to think the way that I think. Um, often when I'm researching, I'll end up with more questions, even myself after I finish researching. And so I'm just someone that's always trying to read and learn and chat with other people to see what you guys think and then kind of present it all here. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and I thought a series was the best way to approach this. So 
Let's get going. Uh, One of my main aims is actually to bring clarity and calm. I love those two words, clarity and calm. On this whole topic of feminism and opportunity, you know, according to our gender and all of those things, but mostly I want to take back feminism, the word feminism, the definition feminism, what feminism is, because the world has hijacked it and it has crept into the church, which by the way, that was one of the questions I polled to you guys. Do you think feminism has crept into the church, current fe- current feminism? I didn't explain my definition, by the way, at the time. I just put it out there. Do you think feminism has crept into the church? And 74% of you agreed with that. And that was a couple of hundred of you, by the way. So it's not just like 10 people responded. That was like a few hundred people that responded to that. So I thought that was really interesting that a lot of you guys feel that it has. And I'd like to even hear more from you guys on that. So the main thing I want to do too is to get God's perspective. You know, I'm always about that. Let's have a look at what God's perspective is. So we're going to unravel that over the next few weeks. So let me tell you first, just breathe. We aren't being left behind. It's okay. And the thing, you know, things have been and will continue to change and get better for us girls. But I fear that modern, the modern feminist narrative, which by the way, feminism started off so well, and that's really what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at where feminism began and it started off really well, but modern feminism, what it's become today, which is being taught to our girls through the education system, through media, through movies. You probably don't even realize half the time the narrative that's being pushed onto us it's actually, in my opinion, causing more controversy than calm. And as you'll see as we go, I think for all the good that it's done in the past, there's now a push where women are constantly seeing themselves as victims. And that's what I really want to address. I noticed that in all of the questions that I asked you on Instagram, a lot of your answers to me when I asked a question They were answers based on a feeling or an emotion or something that you've heard somewhere. And a lot of the answers were very, um, uh, they were great, but they were very much like women are victims, that we are victims. Um, But then when I asked you for more evidence, most of the time you didn't actually have any, which I thought was interesting. And that's not me like, you know, blaming you. I just thought, okay, this is interesting to see how girls are thinking that a lot of it is based on probably something that you've heard or an emotion that you have, um, or maybe something that you've read. But when I asked for evidence, you actually didn't have any. Um, so again, I want to encourage us as I do every week to think about things for ourselves. If you think that something is true, Ask yourself, is this fact or am I repeating a narrative that's become popular so that people think it's true? Let me give you an example. So one girl wrote in and said to me that women were disadvantaged because they get paid less than men. So I I asked for a bit more clarity. Well, which fields of work did that occur in? Because I know that myself being in two different fields, which is teaching and as a pastor, that men and women get paid exactly the same for the same role for the same hours. So she came back with some good facts, which was awesome. I'm like 10 out of 10, good girl. Um, And she said, well, on average, women were paid $242 less than men a week. So then I pushed a bit further and I said, okay, but is that for the exact same job? 
Are you telling me that a man and a woman can do the exact same job and a woman gets paid less, $242 less a week? Because if that's the case, I want to know what fields they are because that's, that's bad. Um, and Or is this because women might choose jobs on, that on average are paid lower? And that's where she was like, oh, you know what? She wholeheartedly agreed. I think that might be the case. Maybe it's more that women are choosing jobs that on average are paid lower. Um, and so in that case, a genuine question arose from her and my discussion, which was, are female dominated industries the lower paying industries? So what started off as a really great question with a really good answer, the answer might not have been completely 100% factual until we got down to that. So see how we really need to think about our opinions and then have facts behind them, because a lot of us often are made to feel like victims based on a narrative that either other people or the media have told us, but isn't necessarily true. So, you know, we read that, oh, women are paid $242 less and we're all outraged. My gosh, that's terrible. How can we be, you know, but that's not for the same job. We're not talking about the same jobs there. So I wanted to unpack it all and just teach you guys a bit about a bit about this whole feminism and gender stuff. And some of you might be hearing about some of these things for the first time. Um, but again, I just want you to learn to think through things for yourself and not just to believe this narrative that's being told like it's the truth. We're going to look at things like what feminism is, what it used to be, what it's become today. We're going to look at the different waves of feminism and what that means. Uh, we'll research and chat about, you know, is feminism helpful to us girls? Um, we'll explore how empowered we are or aren't in the church. And I really want to explore that as well. A lot of you have asked me about that. Um, you know, do we have equal opportunities in the church? Do we have enough role models? Is there enough intentionality? How many women are on the platform compared to men? All of that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, we'll look at what the Bible says. And then if we've got time over the next few weeks, there's so much we could look at when it comes to, is there gender equality? Is there gender bias? Um in so much more. If you guys think of more things, hit me up and I'll see how much we can cover. Um, so I just wanted to start, let me just start with this story because this happened to me last week, which I thought was really kind of funny that it's quite appropriate. As I told you last week, I officiated the wedding of one of our girls who actually married a youth pastor from another church. And I was really honored and I actually thought she was going to ask Cameron because she came over and I thought she was going to ask Cameron, but she asked me or that maybe she would ask his pastors, her now husband's pastors, but she asked me. And so I was really honored. And um, anyway, when I got there to the wedding, the first thing I did was I found the photographer and the videographer and I just introduced myself because I knew that would be, you know, working well, uh, working together all day. And they were lovely. And we got chatting. There were two guys, by the way, and I found out they went to a church that um, I know of who don't believe in women in the pulpit in any way. So they believe that women can teach one another and women can teach children, but they don't believe in women in the pulpit. So the first thing that goes through my head is, oh, here's me officiating fully for myself, by the way, for the first time. I've done a lot of different played a lot of parts in a lot of weddings, done communion and prayers and Bible readings, but I've never actually, this was my first time actually officiating a whole wedding from start to finish. And so I'm already really, really nervous. 
And now I know that the photographer and the videographer most likely were thinking, oh, this is interesting, a woman, (laughs) let alone in ministry, is now officiating a wedding. So what went through my mind? I'll be really honest with you. The first thing was slightly intimidated. Oh my gosh. Okay. These two guys are probably thinking, what's she doing here? We don't believe there should be a man doing this. But then the second thing that went through my mind is this, these boys, they were nothing but kind and sweet and funny. And we had quite a few laughs and they never made me feel bad. They didn't give me the vibes that they thought I shouldn't be doing this. I never would have even known that what their church beliefs are. I don't even know. Maybe they don't even align with what their church believes. I don't know. I didn't ask them, but uh, unless I knew what church they came from, I never would have known. So the third thing was this, my conclusion after feeling slightly intimidating, but then seeing how amazing they were and that they gave me no vibes, um, was that, you know what, they are totally entitled to believe what they want to believe. And I'm also entitled to believe what I want to believe. And that's completely okay. And I'm going to go and rock this wedding and make it the best wedding ever. And they're going to turn around and go, oh my gosh, she was amazing. And we're so glad she did the wedding. And of course I treated treated them with great respect, um, just like they treated me with great respect. So I thought that was quite funny. Like after I decided to talk about feminism and then that happened to me, but I think that's um, maybe, well, I hope that shows you a bit of an example that, you know, just because people believe different things doesn't mean that that has to disempower me. They're, they're believing something different to me didn't disempower me at all. And I don't, I think that's the attitude that we, that we need to have. So I want to ask this question. I don't know what you girls think, although a few of you have written into me. Do you think that feminism has perhaps made girls mean? What do you reckon? You know, very, very rarely have I actually been dismissed by a man in leadership or otherwise because I'm a female, let alone treated disrespectfully. I have never been treated disrespectfully by any man in my church, ever. Never been treated disrespectfully by anyone you know, um, coming, coming through in my years and years, in my, in my 20 plus years of ministry experience at most men might perhaps more often than not give me the credit for something. Like usually they'll give it to, to Cameron, (laughs) you know, I've told you that before, like the Academy, well done, Cameron, great Academy. I'm like, oh my gosh, he literally does nothing for Academy. I do it all. Um, but that's not meanness. That's just, that's just ignorance. Mostly I have been championed by men, believed in by men and given opportunities by men. Um, I have stood on the platform of some of the the greatest churches in our country because, not because I've been invited by the wife to do a women's thing, although that has happened too, but because I've been invited by the man and, and, well, by the couple, but by the man to preach on his stage on a Sunday. So I've been given incredible opportunity. You know who I found the mean ones to be? It's actually the girls, And I mean, what is your experience? I've had more negative, nasty, disrespectful, and even bullying incidences from women, not men. And I mean, it's even happened recently with this podcast because, you know, sometimes girls disagree with my opinion on something. Um, I've even witnessed it close up where women, I've actually seen women bullying men because they've wanted an opportunity. And I, I use the word bullying because that sounds pretty full on, but the reason I use the word bullying is because 
if the men spoke to them the other, if, if we swap that around and the men spoke to them the way that they spoke to the men, then the women would go, that guy's bullying me. Um, you know, I had one girl write in a little while back and, and tell me that, um, no, sorry, I had someone write in just the other day and tell me that she prefers the company of, of guys. And the ones who bully her about it are not the guys, but it's the girls. So I think we have to be really careful because I know that's maybe that's my experience. I don't know what your experience is, but I have found that people with a, a more of a feminist kind of belief system tends to often, they often be quite are the, mean, the meaner ones. So I asked you girls a number of things. Like I said on my Instagram, I asked you, do you think current feminism is helpful to women? And interestingly, 62% of you said no. So I thought that was interesting. And again, that was quite a few hundred of you. And the other thing I asked, which I mentioned before, was do you think feminism has crept into the church? And 74% of you said yes. So I do agree with you that there are downsides of feminism that have crept into the church. I think feminism's done a lot of good in the earlier days for the church, but I think modern feminism is creeping into the church. And I do see it with some of the responses and the way that I see girls treating one another. So we have to judge feminism by what it does and not by its intentions. Like we can't judge feminism by the definition of feminism. We have to actually judge feminism by the fruit, by what it does. So even recently, there was, you know, a couple of girls who were quite, um, I don't know, I guess the best word would be rude and superior um, in the way that they've come at me. They were, you know, they were outraged that I would dare suggest that maybe girls could help, uh, you know, we could help learn a few things about the way that we present our voices on stage. And they were outraged, you know, even though I presented all of the research and, and all of the facts. And by the way, women, a lot of women told me that they found it harder to listen to other women. And so I tried to be really objective and look at why that might be. And, you know, we talked about the brains of men are different to the brains of women. And that could be a reason. And then just gave a few tips. But also at the end, I did say, but we also have to be ourselves. But it was interesting that the thing that triggered these girls, they didn't even listen to the podcast. It was the title. It was just the title. Apparently the title was disempowering of women. So um, they suggested that I should have done a podcast teaching men on how to listen to women. Now, I agree that we could coach and help men get better at listening to women. But isn't it funny that it's okay for them to suggest that men change for the women? That's right. And that's acceptable. But for me on my podcast to suggest that perhaps women could adapt for men, apparently that is outrageous. But you see, this is what feminism does. It disregards science and biology for, uh, for a convenient narrative. And then they force me to disregard the science and the biology and say that I have to adapt their narrative or watch out. And then I, and then I get, you know, these interesting messages. 
but it's not just what they said, it's actually how they went how they went about it. And it's interesting because none of these girls have ever come to Youth Alive. None of them follow me on social media. None of them have ever encouraged me. They've never gone, yay, Renee, love what you do. My gosh, you've invested for 20 years in girls. That's amazing. You know, they don't bother to educate themselves on how I might have been a positive role model or that I've got two degrees or that I'm the director of a national Bible college. So I just don't want to be the mean girl. And I want to teach you girls a different way as well and that you don't have to be the mean girls, but we should be encouraging one another. Um, I just refuse to join what I consider feminism, which I consider it's become a real victimhood mentality, that we are victims. And I just refuse to join the sorority of victimhood. And I would encourage you girls to do the same. I mean, is there definitely room for change? Is there definitely room for things to improve and for girls to be treated differently? Absolutely. But I don't think we ever get anywhere by being victims. And in fact, having a victim mentality actually weakens you. I know all of the people that I've ever worked with as a pastor, that if you've got a victim, if they've got a victim mentality, it's really, really hard to work with them because they always want to blame everyone else and everything else and don't want to take responsibility and don't want to change. And it seems funny to me that the very thing that feminism is, which is there to empower women by making us victims, it is doing the opposite and it's actually making us weaker. And that's one of the reasons I'm not all for at all, or all for the feminist narrative. So I want us to always be the kind girls, not the girls that are always on the attack or the girls that feel like we're victims. So let's have a look at the definition of feminism and the journey that it's been on and the implications that it has for us. And I think it's really important for you girls to know the history of feminism because when you see feminism today, you can see where it's come from and what it's meant to be. And it can really help you to judge where it's come and if that's a good or a bad thing for today. So feminism is the belief that men and women should have equal rights and opportunities. So it's actually about fighting for the equality of the sexes. The dictionary definition is the theory of the political, economic and social equality of the sexes. So if I were to go by the dictionary definition of feminism, I would say I'm a feminist. I would say I believe in that. And so would most of you. In fact, no decent guy or girl would oppose the concept of equality of the sexes. By the way, feminism is obviously fighting for the female equality. I think the opposite, which of course, hello, we never hear about this. What about fighting for the equality of men? That's called meninism. I can't even say it. Feminism, but with the men in the front. Um, so anyway, that's a whole other, other discussion. But um, if we were to go by the dictionary definition, feminism's a really great thing. But remember what I said before, we can't go by the dictionary definition of something. We have to go by the actions that we see and the fruit that we see, not by the intentions. We can only go by what we see as a result. And feminism's been on quite a journey. And the dictionary definition, tick, tick, that's awesome. Early feminism, tick, tick, did a lot of good things. And modern feminism, me, not so great. 
but today we're just going to look more at the early feminism. So um, it actually began as a fight for equality and it wasn't about taking down one sex, aka men, to elevate another. It was simply about um, being able to live with the same rights. And the original purpose was meant to empower women of all types. It wasn't meant for us to make us, you know, feel stronger or above anyone else. It was just about equality and having equal opportunity. So there've been waves, what, what have been known as waves of feminism over time. And a wave is just simply the ideology and philosophy that informs feminism. And it's changed over time, creating separate waves. And they don't always have a clear time frame, but these different periods in history have been defined by their goals over time. So usually a wave would describe a surge of activity um, like a wave at the beginning of a phase, which then reaches its peak in the form of a concrete accomplishment. For example, and this is what we're about to talk about, the first wave where they were trying to accomplish getting women the right to vote. And then once they achieved what they were trying to achieve, the wave would fall and lapse until another wave formed. And since the beginning of feminism in the late 1800s until now, there've been about three or four recognized waves. We're, about the, we're in about the fourth wave now, which started in about 2012. But let's just look at the first wave. Um, and I want to really kind of concentrate on what happened in in Australia, because I think, I know I've got people that listen from everywhere, um, but I want to concentrate a little bit on Australia because that's most of you are from Australia. So anyway, the first wave was a, a period of feminist activity and thought that occurred during the 19th and early 20th century throughout the Western world. And it focused on legal issues, which were primarily securing women's right to vote. So at the time, politics and business were completely dominated by men who actually didn't consider women capable enough at all to be involved in politics or business. And also they didn't see women as being capable enough to be a threat. Um, so let me note, by the way, that this is very interesting. These women in the first wave did not call themselves feminists. So when people say, oh, feminism's a good thing and it's done amazing things, because look at how it started. Actually, if you want to get really factual, this first wave was not done in the name of feminism. The word feminism didn't really, uh, wasn't coined until 1968, so these women of the first wave were known as the suffragettes, and you might have heard that term before. It was primarily led by white women in the middle class, but it was contributed to by women of all over the globe in the Western world. Now, at the time, women were actually contained to their household and didn't have any control even in their household. They were seen as the property of their husbands. Now, we're just talking here in the early 1900s, okay? They didn't have the ability to file for divorce. They wouldn't be granted custody of their children if they left the home. The men were. And women who did work held really low positions like working in factories. And again, these factories would have been managed by men. So interestingly too, this first wave was also connected to the abolitionist movement, okay, which was 
obviously the the anti-slavery movement. So you had these two movements rising up at the same time, one one being freedom from oppression of men and the other being freedom of oppression from, from racial bias. But what happened, there was these two women, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott, they went to an anti-slavery convention in 1840 and they were refused entry because they were women and they were actually thrown out and asked to leave. So they were the ones that created the first ever women's right movement and that became known as the suffrage or the suffragettes. Okay, and so they fought for the mostly the right of women to vote in elections. That became their goal. They also fought for equal opportunities to education, employment, and the right to own property. But the main goal was all about the vote. Now, let me say something a bit controversial here. Do you know what the crazy thing is? Some modern feminists are really torn because this first wave... Um, some of the the suffragettes of the first wave are actually considered racist because women of colour were not given the right to vote and they also were not allowed to join the suffragettes. If they marched, they had to, women of colour had to march behind the white women. So it is interesting that in all of this cancel culture right now going on and all of this, um, uh, you know, everything being cancelled left, right and centre and statues being pulled down because the men who represent these statues were somehow, you know, racist, even though they also did other good things for society. It's interesting that somehow these feminists have been left alone, but in reality, these suffragettes could have been considered racist. Uh, so are we going to cancel this first wave? Because even though we actually get to vote today because of what they did? Do we cancel it because what they did could also be considered racist? Look, this is the ridiculous thing. Girls, we cannot judge people back then by today's standards. You know, was that wrong what they did back then? Yes. But you could see the fight amongst them. It actually started because those women, there were women who were anti-slavery, but it, it wasn't mainstream to be anti-slavery then. And so a lot of women, women were just going by what they knew. But we can't judge people back then by today's standards, um, which is why, you know, it's... Um, it's wrong for all of these uh, these statues to, to be to be torn down. So the right to vote eventually happened, but at various times. And I'm really pleased to say Australia was actually the second country in the world after New Zealand to give women the right to vote. Uh, yay, Australia. Um how did the Australian women go about it? They published leaflets, they ran debates, they ran public meetings, they engaged with members of parliament, and they did not have the advantage of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. They traveled from place to place and knocked on every door to gain support. Do you know these women gathered over 40,000 signatures? We're talking in the early, it was actually the late late 1800s actually that's like a massive task that's a massive undertaking and I'm so proud of Australia girls we've got a great heritage we were the second country to grant women the right to vote my hometown South Australia shout out Adelaideans they actually gave the women the right to vote and stand in parliament in 1895 so they did it a bit earlier but the commonwealth so Australia as a whole was 1902 so 
you know, for people that maybe want to complain about Australia, just remember that we were one of the first to recognise the right for women to vote. And it was only actually since 1983, so this is how far we've come. I mean, 1983, that's not that long ago. Back then, a woman up until then still needed her husband's signature to authorise her passport. So it it has taken a long time for a lot of different, you know, right for us to have a lot of different rights. But 1983, we could finally have our own passport authorised without our husband. Um, so girls, these women are the reason that you can vote in a state and federal election when you're 18. So next time you go and stand at a polling booth, remember them. Remember their sacrifice and their determination. Do you know what they went through? Do you know some of them were actually put in jail? Um, If you girls haven't watched the movie The Suffragettes, I highly recommend it. Um, If you're a bit younger, maybe just check with your parents first, but I highly recommend The Suffragette movie. It'll show you some of what these women went through. I mean, it was more from the British perspective, but these women were often jailed because what um, what they were standing for was actually against the law, which remember what Last week we talked about that if we want to stand up to something that um, is not law, that we can stand up for things, but we then need to also take the consequence. And that's exactly what these women did. But one thing that I did want to note, though, is that sadly, the Indigenous Australians were not given the right to vote, women, I'm talking, until 1962. So from 1902 to 1962, it was only the white women that could vote. And, you know, look, that that is a sad part of our history. That's an unfair part of our history. But thank God that from 1962 onwards that they were also granted the right to vote. So what can we learn from these women Because first wave feminism, although like I said, it wasn't called feminism until 1968, but this first wave, the suffragettes, they really did a good thing for us. We wouldn't be able to vote today if they didn't fight and sacrifice and give up the things that they did. And I think we can learn a lot from them because what they did was for the betterment of women and it was for the betterment of society. So I think the biggest lesson that we can learn from them, and there's probably two takeaways for me. The first one is definitely resilience, which is a quality that I think is really lacking now. Um, I, I look at my grandmothers and they had incredible resilience. They were not educated very high. They both lived in Holland. I've talked about them before because they're my absolute heroes, both my Nana and my Oma who have passed away now. But they both lived in Holland during the war. My Oma was pregnant with my mother in the last year of the war, my other nana helped to hide a Jewish lady who our family is still in contact with to this day. They were incredibly resilient women. They moved countries. from. They went from Holland to here in Australia in the 1950s where they didn't know anybody. They couldn't even talk the language. They went from a freezing cold country to a boiling hot country. And do you know, my two grandmothers were two of the bravest women that I knew. They never complained. They were always happy. They were always loving. They were so resilient. And I worry sometimes for the girls that are coming through now where we're creating safe spaces in our universities 
Um, if you don't know what that is, go and look up what a safe space is. It's a place where if somebody offends you and somebody says something that doesn't you don't agree with and, and it really upsets you, you can go into this special room and withdraw from people into a space where it's safe. That's not making us more resilient, girls. That's making us weaker, not more resilient. And I compare that to what the suffragettes went through, where they suffered mental and physical brutality, watch the movie, and very personal losses. For example, there was a lady called Emily Davison in 1913. This is what the movie is kind of based around, but she ran in front of the king's horse that was racing to further their cause because she knew that they needed a martyr for them to get the world's attention with their cause of finding fighting for the right for women to vote. You know, there were there were huge personal losses. And I compare that to to now to how upset and offended we get when somebody doesn't agree with us and we need to become girls that are stronger than that. So the first thing is resilience and the second thing I think we can learn is that when we really believe in something that if we want to see something changed, we should take action and not complain. And when you have a look at the history of some of the stories of the suffragettes, these women, they did not complain, no matter what they went through, no matter what they suffered. They took action. They didn't whinge. In fact, complaining harmed their cause. And they knew that. They knew that if they were just to complain and whinge, that nobody would listen to them and they took action. And the other thing that I think was amazing there is that they they adapted the kind of action that they took. So when one kind of action didn't work, like they did a lot of things for many years, but when they saw it wasn't working, they changed their approach. And I think that's a really good lesson for us to learn that if we're wanting more opportunity or more equal rights in certain areas and what we're doing is not working, then maybe we should look at our approach and learn some wisdom from them. If we want to further our cause to be recognized for our talents and not disadvantaged because of our gender, we have to stop complaining about it and actually do something about it. So wherever you perceive a lack of justice or a lack of opportunity because of our gender, the best thing that we can do is to get really darn good at what we do so that we can't be ignored. And so that's all of my big takeaways from today. Um, I know that's been a bit of a history lesson, but I felt like it was really important for us to learn that because when we see as we go, you'll see that when what feminism has become today is very, very different to what it started out as. But I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that all feminism is not good because it really has started off with some really, really, really great roots. So I'd encourage you to go and do your own research, look into it, go and watch that movie. It's absolutely phenomenal. And that has taken us well and truly over time. But I love you girls so much. You know how much I believe in you. Come and talk to me on social media. Um, I've been hearing from so many of you. We've been chatting backwards and forwards and I love it. So come and chat with me there. And I really look forward to part two of Girl Power next week. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.